This week in our series, Redemption Road, we take the jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. Now, Jesus' ministry has, has been going strong for about three years. His disciples, they're, they're still growing, still learning, but they've picked up a lot of his teaching as they have followed him around during his ministry. His enemies are with him as well, looking for ways to trap him, looking for ways to stop him. And and soon they'll have all that they need. It's the time of the Passover, when every good Israelite heads to Jerusalem to celebrate. Historians believe that the population of Jerusalem would swell to around 2 million people during Passover, which is a, a pretty crazy number for those times. Today we read about Jesus' approach to Jerusalem for the Passover. We read about the excitement of his followers, the disgust of his enemies. And we see our Savior looking on those he loves and weeping for the lost. Let's read our text this morning, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. We read the word of the Lord. And when he said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near Bethpage in Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where, on entering, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and, and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they said, They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice And praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you and your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. That ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. In August of 2007, Karen, myself, and seven of our friends decided to uproot ourselves from home in Washington State, Olympia, and and move to Buffalo, New York. 
I was in a band at the time, but, but also felt that God was, was calling me to, to come and help out a church in North Tonawanda, New York, a small like, city outside, just outside of Buffalo. I told some members of the band that I felt I was supposed to leave Washington, and I asked, begged maybe, them to come with me. And after some time, most of them decided to come, and I remember the excitement of that cold August morning in the parking lot of Peace Lutheran Brethren Church in Olympia, Washington. And although there was sadness in the goodbyes, it's hard to leave. It's hard to uproot yourself and take yourself far away from home. Far away from home. So though there was sadness, there was also this excitement about the days ahead. We were going on an adventure. We were officially leaving the nest. We had no idea what was going to happen when we got there. But we had high hopes. We had high expectations. We were anticipating that, that God was going to use this time. He was going to bless our band. We were stepping out in faith. We were answering his call. This was going to be great. Sure, it would be hard at times. But we were anticipating that God was going to move in wonderful ways. Anticipation. Hopeful expectation. In our text this morning, the disciples of Jesus, his followers, are full of expectation. They are ripe with it. From the first part of the text, we, we see Jesus send a few of his disciples to bring him a colt, a, a young donkey. He tells them where to find it, tells them that if anyone asks why they are taking it, just to say, the Lord has need of it. They find the donkey. They're questioned and they tell the owners that the Lord needs it. And apparently that's all that's needed. And they're like, okay, you can have it, take it. And they, they bring the donkey to Jesus. They bring this colt to their teacher. And when Jesus gets on the donkey, the anticipation that has been bubbling up in his followers, it, it begins to overflow. His disciples, they, they, they burst out in cheers and in praises. They take off their cloaks, their coats, and, and they lay them on the road before him and before the donkey. In Matthew, we read that, that some cut down branches from the trees and laid them with the cloaks. And because of these branches, we have the current name of this very special day, Palm Sunday. For when Jesus got on that donkey and he began the approach to Jerusalem from Bethany, he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. So we read earlier today in Zechariah 9, 9, it says, Rejoice, great, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And his followers knew it. They were well versed. In the Old Testament, they knew the prophecies of the Messiah. They knew that this is what was going on. They knew that, that as their teacher was getting on this colt and riding this colt, this young donkey, into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, he was fulfilling prophecy. And their anticipation, their excitement, their joy, it begins to bubble over, it begins to... to, to Express itself in outbursts of praise. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
They're calling out Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And for the first time, Jesus didn't stop them. So many times during his ministry, Jesus, like, he does a miracle, right? He heals someone. He restores sight. He he cures leprosy. He brings people back from the dead. He heals people. He he casts out demons, right? He he performs some miraculous work. And then he tells his disciples, his followers, now don't tell anyone, right? Like, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody what just happened. This is not the time. Don't tell anyone. But now... The time has come. The king, the the anticipation has overflowed and is overflowing. The king is on his way to Jerusalem. The crowds of Jesus' followers are loudly worshiping, loudly proclaiming that he is the promised one. He is the Messiah. The anticipation has been building. I remember watching the Super Bowl in, uh, you know, after the 2013 season. Being a Seahawks fan, this is a big deal for me. We don't go very often. And so this was like, a, this was a big thing. And Seattle's playing the Broncos. And Seattle was like wrecking shop in the first half, right? Like just, just wrecking, it's probably, probably fairly boring for most other people to watch. As a Seattle fan, it was, it was pretty exciting. And it's, it's building. The excitement is, is building. Are we actually going to win this game? Before the game, everyone's saying the Broncos are going to just destroy us. Like, it was, it was all about this massive offense, and that's what was happening. And so, we, like, there's this tension. Is, is this actually for real? We go into halftime with a 22 to nothing lead. Things were going our way. But we're also Seattle fans, and, and we know that Seattle fans, like, part of being a Seattle fan is getting, used, getting callous to your hopes being crushed. Like, that's just part of cheering for teams in the Pacific Northwest. Things don't pan out. And so there's this, like, is this actually going to happen? I don't think, like, this probably, so, so you're just kind of waiting on it. Anticipation is building, but you haven't let yourself truly hope yet. Like, it's just halftime. And I remember just a couple of years ago, there was, like, a, a lull in the game, and, and Baltimore was destroying, and then San Francisco came right back in. So there's... Totally possible for this massive offense to just come in and and, and destroy all of the hopes and dreams that we have had building here. And then halftime ended. And Percy Harvin took the first half kickoff back for the touchdown. And you just knew Seattle was going to win that game. The bubble burst. People, well, my brother and I, you know, we're dancing around the living room. Throwing pillows, just super excited. This is it. The anticipation has been building so long, and it happened, and you know you're going to win. You know it's coming. The king is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on the donkey. He's fulfilling prophecy. This is what we've been waiting for. We're so excited. They could no longer contain their excitement. Our text tells us that some of the Pharisees, the guys who were following Jesus around, not because they were being fed by his ministry, but because they believe in keeping your friends close and your enemies closer. They've been following Jesus around trying to trap him, trying to catch him in his ministry so they can make the charge of blasphemy stick. So they, can, they, they might be rid of this man that they see as an imposter. And these Pharisees say to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. 
They say, this is blasphemy. Do you understand what they're doing? This is blasphemy. Tell them what they are doing is wrong. Tell them that you are not God. And how does Jesus respond? He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. You guys, the king is coming. He's on the way. Prophecy is being fulfilled. Everyone can feel it. It's bubbling like electricity in the air. And in the followers of, if, if the followers of Jesus didn't proclaim the truth, if the followers didn't recognize what was going on and shout it from the rooftops and lay their cloaks and their palm branches down in worship, then nature itself would cry out. What a day. What a crazy Fabulous, wonderful day for the followers of Christ. But as we sit back and look at the events of that day, and especially the events that followed, do you think that the expectations of the disciples were met? Do you think they got what they anticipated? When our group arrived in Buffalo, things did, did not go as we anticipated. Sure, you know, our, our band, we, we played quite a few shows, but the scene there was, was much different than we expected. We put a lot of hard work and time in Olympia, and so we were known there, but in Buffalo, no one knew us, and no one really cared. We had to start from the bottom again, and the music was different than we thought it would be. Our style was an outlier. You know, we didn't really have anywhere that we plugged in. We didn't really have any other bands to play with. Added to that, jobs were hard to find, and the ones that were available didn't pay very well. I was told I could transfer, but when they saw what I was making at Olympia, the, the company I was working for fired me so they could rehire me at a lower rate, and then I would be guaranteed less hours. And we just, I, I couldn't make ends meet with that. So I had to quit my job and, and take a, a job that was not as nice. This was not what we anticipated. It was way harder. It was way harder. Jesus' followers had no way of knowing what awaited him and them in Jerusalem. Yes, he was the promised Messiah. Yes, he was fulfilling prophecy. Yes, this was an incredibly exciting time, an unimaginably exciting time. Emotions were running high. Anticipation was being built to the highest level. And yet, we know from his disciples how his followers reacted to the events that transpired in Jerusalem that they did not get what they were expecting. They went into the city welcoming a king, and a few short days later, they were in hiding, fearing for their lives, believing that everything had failed, that their Messiah was dead, that the prophecy had not been fulfilled. They felt that their expectation, their anticipation, had betrayed them. Can we relate to the disciples? Can we relate to the followers of Christ, the crowds in our text this morning? You know, there are times during our, our walk of life that an anticipation builds and builds, and we can get just, we get so caught up in it. 
This is true whether we are Christians or not. You know, whether we're walking in faith or not, we have hopeful expectation for the future. We anticipate happiness in our marriages. We anticipate a good job once we finish school. We anticipate kids who love us and want to spend time with us. We anticipate being able to grow old. We anticipate being able to retire someday. These are things that, that we're encouraged to anticipate. These are dreams that we are encouraged to dream. So, what happens when the things that we anticipate fall flat? What happens when the bubble bursts? The adrenaline rush is gone. The excitement peters out and reality sets in. How do we react when the future begins to look pretty bleak? When our marriage hits bumps that we didn't see coming? How do we react when the job that we thought was going to be there isn't and when we find out we aren't able to have kids? Or the kids we do have are a lot harder to raise than we thought that they would be? How do we respond when we realize we won't be able to grow old? because of some form of tragedy, be it sickness or an accident or some other pothole in the road of life? How do we react when our picture of the future doesn't come into focus like we thought it would, like we thought it should? Sometimes anticipation has a way of kicking us in the face and then kicking us while we're down. Our emotions have a way of of carrying us to heights of expectation that we had no business in feeling. And it's a long way down to reality. And man, sometimes we land hard. Sometimes we land hard. But no matter how many bumps, cracks, or potholes we come across on the road of life, none of them have any effect on who God is. God's goodness does not rely on our expectations. God's goodness is true regardless of my emotional state. And just because what we anticipate happening may not happen, that does not mean we shouldn't get excited. No one is saying that we should be tempering expectations just because they may not be realized. It's good to dream. It's good to have high expectations of the future. It's important to be excited about what's to come. Jesus encouraged the outpouring of joy and expectation from his disciples. Jesus says that if his followers were silent in their joy, then the rocks would cry out. Man, I love this. I just love this. He was completely aware that they didn't have an inkling of an idea of what was coming. He knew the sadness they would endure. He knew the pain that was coming their way. And yet he didn't temper their excitement because there was reason for excitement. This was a fantastic day. There was reason to celebrate the hardship in the future shouldn't remove the expression of the joy we feel today. 
My Mariners are, are 13 and 4. Best record in baseball. Playing out of their minds. I know that there's a really good chance that this team will probably extend the largest playoff drought in professional American sports come late, late September. But knowing that we'll probably miss the playoffs again shouldn't cause me to enjoy the reality of where, that we're winning and how we're winning right now. Ecclesiastes 8.15 says, And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. It's good to have joy. It's good to experience joy and to not let the, the downer of the future, not let the potholes that may come ruin what we're experiencing right now. The question becomes, are we willing to trust the future to his sovereignty, to God's sovereignty? Are we willing to get excited knowing that things may pan out differently than we anticipated them panning out? And though I highlighted things taking a downward turn earlier, it's pretty clear in the rest of Scripture that the things took a decidedly upward turn for the followers of Christ. Or a, a decidedly more upward turn than what the followers of Christ were anticipating in this particular text. They were expecting a kingdom for their time and for their people. And instead, Jesus established a kingdom for all time and for anyone who has faith in him. The reality of the road Jesus walked does not limit the excitement that we have in the truth that he is the Messiah. Just because he didn't do exactly what his followers expected him to does not mean that there was no cause to rejoice, that there was no reason to get excited. That there was no reason to anticipate what the world would look like after the coming of the king. Despite the hardship that followed, the kingdom that Jesus established is so much better than what his followers could have hoped to imagine on that day on the road to Jerusalem. His love for us, for all people, is so apparent, so exquisite, so pronounced. Our text this morning makes that so clear. We get this image of Jesus looking at Jerusalem, looking at the people that would reject him, that would not his, accept his message, and he's weeping. Not because of what he was about to go through, but for the people. He's surrounded by people hailing him as the Messiah, as the one who comes in the name of the Lord, screaming Hosanna. And while he encourages them in their excitement, he weeps for those who will not share it. Karen, myself, and our friends spent two years in Buffalo. There were times, many times, when I would lay awake at night in my bed and wonder why I had ever been excited about moving away from home. I'd wonder why I had ever anticipated that things would go well for us so far from our safety net, so far from those we knew and those that knew about us. I would wonder why jobs were terrible and why we had such a hard time providing for ourselves and why the church 
other than Pastor Bob and his amazing wife Karen, didn't really seem to want us there. But as I look back now, I wouldn't trade those years for anything. God grew me in my faith, in my reliance on him, and in my relationship with my wife in ways that I would not have grown had I stayed in the relative safety of Washington. God proved himself and his love for us over and over again in ways that I did not expect, but will always remember. God loves you. He just does. That's factual. And though the journey may not be all that you expect or anticipate it to be, know that nothing can or ever will change his love for you. Jesus let his people rejoice loudly as he walked down another stretch of Redemption Road for us. He encouraged their excitement, and though he knew that what they were anticipating would not be realized in the way they expected it to, he also knew that it would be realized in a better way than they could have ever imagined. I don't know what you are anticipating, I don't know where your expectations lie. But I do know that God loves you and that he wants you to be excited. He wants you to be excited about life and he really wants you to be excited about him. And I know that some expectations will never be met and that sometimes anticipation will fall flat. But I am also convinced that when our hope is in Christ, when our faith is in Christ, the one who loves us, who died in our place and rose again, then our expectations can't begin to comprehend the scope of the joy that he has planned for us. We can't anticipate high enough. The bubble can't get big enough to capture all that joy and love that that will overwhelm us for eternity in heaven. What an amazing wonderful, loving, and powerful God we serve. Hosanna. Amen.